Go. Start. A. Verb. Say. Shun. All right, welcome back, everyone. Um, last time we did our first informal episode of the um, Conversation podcast, where we just, you know, vibed, played some games, and had a great time to socializing with one another. Um, hope we were good entertainment for y'all. And now we are back with episode six, and we'll be talking about mental health in um, APIDA families and its impact in general during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, well, I'll introduce myself. Um, my name is Kang Fan, and I am the Indiana co-star, and I use he, him, his pronouns. Um, I'm an alum from VS8IU, but I'm now currently at the Indiana University School of Medicine, where I'm literally studying 24-7. Thanks. Hopefully you're getting that rest there, because it's all it's uh, about in this episode. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, just to segue that in, you know, hello, everyone. Welcome back to our episode six. Hope you all have been doing a great time. Um, as foremost, my name is David Tran. I use he, him, him pronouns. I am the Michigan COSAR or state rep. And currently it's midterm season, so it hasn't been too bad. Um, just you not know, being able to kind of take care of myself. But I recently just got back from Chicago to visit Maya, our Illinois COSAR. So apparently there's a big height discrepancy. So if you ever meet me in person, it's, it's kind of crazy, apparently. I don't think I'm tall, but some people think I'm really tall. So I know Molly, I met you like Two weeks two weekends ago so I'm pretty sure you had like noticed that like big discrepancy <laughs> oh yeah you're definitely tall there's no way that you're getting around that and with that I'm Molly my name well my name is Molly Ratswong and I'm the Ohio Kosar I use the pronoun she her and I'm also an alum of the Ohio State University and really I've just been chilling like it's the weather here has been really weird like it's been hot and cold so I don't really know if it's like fall time to really enjoy fall activities so we're just going with whatever the weather is right now I think I remember called like last time you talked about the mercury retrograde so maybe that's mm-hmm. impacting everyone's vibes you know maybe. so you know and you know you know but yeah so just a recap for everyone that's new or maybe returning we started this podcast in order to create a safe space for us to talk about life school community identity and pretty much everything in between we wanted to use this platform as a way for us to empower each other's narratives and destigmatize what it means to be a Vietnamese, Asian American, or just a person going through life. So hopefully you all can resonate with our stories and just honestly vibe with us. <laughs> and then for the trigger warnings, um, the trigger warnings that we do have in here is that anything that is said during our podcast are the views and experience of our own individual selves, and they do not reflect you based in the West at all. So topics discussed in our podcast may be personal and or sensitive to some individuals. And some of the trigger warnings that we may be experiencing during this podcast will be trauma, self-harm, suicide, anxiety, depression, racism, and discrimination. But I'll hand it back to our host, Kang, to speak for the rest. All right, thanks, David. Um, Also to reiterate, you are tall. I'm pretty sure you're the tallest co-star in our cohort. All right. Like I said before, episode six, we'll be talking a lot about mental health care in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as its impact on APIDA families, the general feelings about it in the APIDA community, family expectations, and similar themes that can be found in other communities. So with that, we'll get started and talk about um, mental health during the COVID-19 pandemic, Um, and especially, you know, becoming a really important topic um, during since 
um, March of 2020, whenever the COVID-19 pandemic first arose in uh, around the world, um, you know, due to the effects of social distancing, quarantining, and then just these societal issues that were brought to light um, among a plethora of personal struggles that, struggles that individuals experienced in the last year and a half, um, whether that's um, losing a job, losing a loved one, or just um, anything that people have been struggling with. Um, but yeah, uh, mental health has definitely been a huge um, key issue within the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, according to the National Health Institute survey um, conducted by the Center for Disease Control, it saw that 41% of adults actually suffered symptoms of anxiety or major depressive disorder during um, 2020, basically the year of COVID, um, compared to just 11% in 2019. And um, this really impacts our age group between 18 and 24 even more as um, out of adults um, like that had these um, symptoms of anxiety, major, major depressive disorder, 55% of them were in our age group. And, um, you know, some of the reasons for these trends can easily stem from the effects of COVID-19 um, as the job market took a big dip with employment skyrocketing and financial security being tested. Um, I know I was, wasn't sure if my dad was able to hold on to his job, so I definitely tested my mental health a little bit. Um, on top of the societal effects of quarantine, of social distancing that, you know, COVID brought upon. Um, and yeah, these effects, you know, also have been disproportionately affecting minority communities. Um, for example, symptoms of depression were reported in 40% of Hispanic adults um, compared to 25% of white non-Hispanic adults, um, according to the CDC. And then finally, a poll by the um, Minority Consult revealed that American minority groups, um, including LGBTQ+, Asian, Hispanic, Black, and Native American communities all had 40 to 48% of adults experiencing more trouble with their mental health during the pandemic. That's pretty much, you know, one out of every two people, like basically half of the pop minority population with mental health. I'm just taking this all in. I like Molly right now, are just kind of like struck right mm. now. I think, um, so, you know, I just want to talk about the statistics, words, <laughs> statistics real quickly um, is because you know, 55% for ages 18 to 24 is a big, very big statistic. And I think, you know, what you really just like, I want to think about right now is that the fact that we see there's an increase in the percentage of like adults going through mental health versus before COVID substantial. And it's a lot because it shows how much a global health pandemic can do to individuals. You know, um, I remember when like, to talk about COVID is that like when it first hit in March, you know, everyone was at first like, it's just like the flu, it's gonna go away, things like that, like all of those like jibber jabbers. And it went to the point where people were like, oh, this is getting kind of serious. You know, people are starting to go to hospitals and ICUs. And that's when like people started having like this like world of panic. And I think from there, it kind of just like really set everyone off put. Like, you know, even I was set off put. And like, you know, as a university student, it really, kind of like was confusing because you know for us I'm pretty sure most of us were like seniors or juniors during this time for like this cohort mm -hmm. but you know being kicked out of school is kind of like I guess the greatest thing that happened to us we're like oh, no no school but um I think thinking about it backwards I'm just like wow like we got kicked out of school like how bad can this be you know 
Yeah, like um, I definitely agree with whatever with all you said, David. And um, just to add on, I remember like you know people think COVID nineteen obviously it's a physical thing about um, people getting the illness and uh, being sick and having these physical symptoms. But one thing that really flies under the radar is still affects that COVID-19 and the whole pandemic has had. And it doesn't have to stem just from directly from COVID, whether that's like you're losing a loved one or suffering from the condition, like losing or um, having a deteriorating mental health per se, but like um, the effects of social distancing, not seeing your friends um, in quarantine, um, all of that um, pretty much has made mental health a really important issue and something that really hasn't been um, talked about too much during the COVID-19 pandemic because we think, you know, COVID-19, I'm not going to get sick. Um, it's just a, basically like the flu, but we don't think about the mental health uh, implications that it can bring upon that can really affect. And I think it has affected everyone in the globe, honestly. No, absolutely. And yes, Molly, I see your hand. What's up? <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to say, um, yeah, I just have to echo that because like everybody just thinks that like, just because like COVID-19 is like a thing, like it doesn't affect other people who like in the society and stuff like that. And I can for sure say to myself because like even now I'm like, I don't know, I, I'm a very extroverted person and stuff like that. But then during this pandemic, I became a little more introverted and more of a homebody. And like now that I, you know, air quotes, like I'm able to like go outside and interact with people and stuff like that. Now I'm still like, is this okay? Like, am I allowed to do this? And um, I mean, I am still very extroverted, like that hasn't really much changed, but now I'm a little like shy when it comes to meeting people and meeting new people as well. It's like hard for me. And that's like funny to think that like me as an extroverted person, like that would affect me too. And just like trying to put that perspective into like a more like global sense, like how it's gonna affect other people. and how they may interact with like new people or people that have been interacting interacting with before. Yeah, no, Molly, I think you touched on like a very great point too, is because, you know, this isn't only just like a United States issue or like things like just for us, but it's for everybody. Like everybody's going through it. Like I remember when like my family members from Vietnam were just talking to like my parents over the phone. They were just like, have you guys been hit with COVID? Like it's been hitting us pretty badly or like things like that. And so like, knowing that like someone from like, across the country is able to also be bearing witness to this it's it's very it's it's an issue and you know I think actually this really transitions to like a really great point I want to bring up is like you know we talk about like the cause and the effects of this but let's think about the after effects and like you know what I mean by that is like the normalcy of this like you know like trying to go back into like this period of like normal right because a whole year has passed now y'all and quite frankly, COVID is still here. It's still alive. Like the third booster shot is still like out here and like it's starting to like be more relevant. But, you know, I feel like I've noticed that a lot of people are trying to get into like this whole habit of like, let's go back to normal. And I think for me, it's thinking about like, well, what is normal, especially when it comes to mental health, right? Um, for me personally, I want to say that like before COVID, I would say that like I was disregarding my, my mental health extremely. Um, I think most people can kind of relate to this, but you know, like, you know, you ever have like that feeling when like you kind of like to keep yourself busy and like you have like a back to back schedule and such forth. And that is kind of just like a way for you to kind of hide the fact that like something's going on with you, like internally. Um, for me, I used to like for VSA specifically, I used to like always take up all, all these positions and also like all these projects. And it came to the point where I kind of like burnt myself out really badly and to the point where like 
I would dread going to VSA events and just kind of like have no energy whatsoever. And also with my family issues too, you know, like you, during COVID, like it's economic thing as being a family of small business owners, um, there's a lot of cutbacks that we had to do. You know, we had to sell some things, we had to cut back on some costs. So it's already a lot of stress going on. And during COVID, it wasn't much difference. You know, it was like pretty much the whole world decided to take like a big pause. Like when you pause on Netflix, it's just like it stops and then like, the world is asking you, are you still there? Are you still watching? So I kind of felt like that. It was like, I don't know, like, should I be continuing? And then the minute I press that continue, right? That's, I only pressed that like pause and unpause button in my mental head is because throughout COVID, I self-reflected a lot because I didn't have things blocking my like field of vision. So all I had was like myself and my thoughts and then like an empty room that like, I was just kind of like stuck in for a while. And so, you know, going out of COVID, I was able to kind of think about self-care a lot more, more specifically about knowing my own limitations, knowing my boundaries, but also kind of taking time for myself, you know, like, I think for me, Google Calendar is like my Lord and Savior. Sometimes I would say my bread and butter and I follow it to like a T. However, I always make buffer time now to like a lot like myself an hour or two just for myself to kind of decompress and also take time to eat food. Honestly, I did not eat that much before COVID, but now mm. I make time for myself to eat because if I know if I don't eat, it's going to affect me long-term wise. So that's just, you know, my little tangent real quickly, but <laughs> I guess a question I have for both of you, because if we we're all in a sense, still students and young adults, is that like, when we're going back into like this, you know, quote unquote, normal period, like how, what, what changed with like your self-care procedures, your mental health, like, was there a positive impact or was it still kind of something you're still learning? Uh, I can uh, add on to what David said, um, but yeah, David, that definitely, like, it's always obviously, like, I think, really, I guess, welcoming to see that, you know, you came out of COVID, um, honestly, an improved guy, um, bringing back mental health into the picture and making that a better pillar about yourself, and then you said, like, making a schedule eating, so that was a good idea. <laughs> um, I also definitely agree with burnout. Um, I remember... My experiences um, with some friends playing events and stuff like that, um, I could tell that they were starting to get burnt out. Um, with and it was due to multiple factors. I remember like we were just um, um, I don't know, bunch of people were like dreading going to e-board meetings just because like they just didn't have time or didn't really want to go. And um, I think a lot of factors that stem from the pandemic, whether that's um, not having people show up because of lack of interest, maybe due to their men- like poor mental health. Um, the stress of school and life in general, social distancing, quarantining, or the like unpredictableness of COVID-19. Um, so yeah, burnout was definitely a big thing um, for my friends and part, potentially for me too. Um, but to answer your question, sorry, David, um, but yeah. to answer your question, before COVID, um, you know, I was really fortunate to not have times where I struggled with my mental health. Um, there'd be times, obviously, where I'd have some anxiety with, you know, school deadlines to me, just stress with, you know, life events, uh, but nothing that extremely crippled me or like made me pause and self-reflect um, with myself. But the pandemic really tested me um, at not having that in-person interaction that we honestly, I honestly took for granted um, when COVID started. Um, that was really hard for me just because, you um, you know, not seeing someone in person and like, like Molly, me being an extrovert, um, it was definitely hard for me to like not have that anymore. Um, 
applying to schools because um, between my junior and senior year, I was applying to med schools and, you know, taking tests for them. That was huge stress on top of, you know, COVID-19 of, of the summer. That was hell, part of my language. And, you know, the, like the societal issues in the nation, um, including just racism and discrimination against uh, BIPOC communities that, you know, affected all of us. Um, I definitely, you know, try to maintain my usual self-care routines of, you know, exercise and trying to socialize with others to um, maintain those relationships and distress from whatever's going on with life. But, you know, it's hard to you know, exercise when gyms are closed um, and quarantine was a thing. Um, I remember to um, supplement that um, my roommate and I, we filled up um, a duffel bag with like textbooks and we use them as free weights. Um, I will say though, oh. David. <laughs> Very <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I like that. Oh yeah, it was, it was funny because like we could like adjust our weight just by like adding on or uh, taking out of some textbooks. But yeah, adding on, David, what you said like you were eating more, I definitely did a lot more cardio because, you know, there's not much of a variety you can do with just one duffel bag. So I tried to do a little more cardio. So yeah. Nowadays, um, <laughs> I hold my mental, you know, a major pillar and keep it well. Um, with lots of self-care techniques that I actually never tried before um, COVID started. Um, I've been high into meditation. I try to meditate at least once every other night um, before I go to bed, um, just to, you know, de-stress from the day and just go calmly to bed. Yoga, it's something that I actually never done, but it's really, really calming. And um, the IUSM, the health coalition here, they offer yoga weekly on Thursdays. And I try to go. Um, every week just because it's a really cool experience and you know trying new exercises like I said about running more often I've been trying a lot more new exercises to keep me engaged and just you know keeping things fresh and making my mind stimulating um, with all these workouts and just you know getting my mental health in check but yeah. Kang are you a fan of hiking? <laughs> I uh, I love to hike my concern is I'm a really clean guy so I don't know I like I like to hike but and I have to go take a shower immediately just because I just hate feeling really, really dirty. I don't know. I, I do like the, um, I don't know, the exercise, I guess, that you get from hiking. But yeah. I think you should just rough it up and just shower with the rain is what I say. <laughs> Wait, I'm curious. Um, where do you like do yoga? Because like, or like meditation or like that. Because like, I've also been interested in it, but like, I never knew to like where to start. Yeah, um, well, meditation. So IUSM, they offer um, a um, like free subscription to all students. It's through Headspace. It's an app. Unfortunately, you have to pay for it, but um, the um, method is pretty easy and simple. It's just they um, tell you how to check your breathing um, and, you know, just um, oh, as an example, they like have you close your eyes, check your breathing real fast. And then uh, just, you know, make your um, head feel heavy and just, you know, de-stress from the day. Try to, you know, get yourself out of your physical body, if that makes sense, and just um, be in touch with um, your inner zen, if that makes sense. Yoga, they offer um, outside um, with winter coming. I'm not sure how that's going to happen, but they offer it outside, um, outside of like a uh, dormitory hall, I think, on campus. Um, and they do offer on Zoom. So we have like a few regional campuses and people that want to do yoga, they can just go on Zoom and, you know, do yoga with us. But yeah. 
I think if you want the free version, you go on YouTube and buy yourself a yoga mat, Molly. <laughs> um, I personally also have a yoga mat in my closet right now. And like, I would say like the best time is kind of like in the morning when you're just getting up and kind of like getting ready for the day. It's like, you just kind of like, um, you know, just stretch out. Like I do like that one pose where like you stretch out really far and it's just like, oh, mm-hmm. oh what's it called? That's crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, Molly, so we heard about myself and Kang's. How do you, how, do you have anything to input for this? Yeah. Uh, so basically TLDR, <laughs> before COVID, my mental health was garbage. And now, or during and after like COVID, um, I use air quotes in because like there's not the pandemic, um, I believe. But uh, it's so garbage, but I learned how to manage it a little bit better. Um, before COVID, um, I tried to get into like counseling and stuff like that during school, but I just was not able to. There's a lot of like failed attempts essentially. Like I would go and reach out to someone and be like, I don't feel so great about myself. And they'll just like turn me around. And it's kind of like a blessing, but also not at the same time because I actually got into counseling during COVID or excuse me, during like the beginning of the pandemic, so around like May 2020. And so I was obviously happy that I finally was able to get into counseling, but like, why did it literally take me until my fourth year of college to get me into this? And like, I don't know, I felt happy that I was able to like, eventually like, you know, air quotes use, or air quotes to start my journey on like my getting better with my mental health and stuff like that. But it was just like, bro to take so long um but I'm so glad that I did start counseling during the beginning like um of the pandemic um because I was I had a lot on my plate like not gonna lie I had a babysitter for my aunt who worked as a nurse on top of school because school was still going and then I also had summer classes that um semester as well and I was also um vice president of VSA and my school is AAA which is Asian Student Association and then I was also part of like this, um, I don't want to call it task force, but essentially it was like that, where it was like me and a couple other peers who um, were part of organizations and stuff like that. And then also um, staff uh, from OSU. And we just wanted to like, we noticed um, that a lot of students on campus or were are on campus um, because it's the beginning of the pandemic, you know, they started like, telling people to like leave campus and stuff like that. But we started noticing that people have been um, witnessing like an increase of like racism and stuff like that, specifically towards like, you know, the Asian community and stuff like that. And essentially like this group would got together to find ways on how could we combat that and like how could we host forums or like be some sort of support system. And unfortunately it never, became a thing. I was really excited for it because it was something like really cool and like um, something I really like channeled a lot of my energy towards, but never happened, but that's okay. Um, I still use resources from that. Um, and so with all of that, um, I was also um, dealing with the loss of a friend. I also lost a friend during COVID. Um, I don't know, I, just, I was just going through a lot. So I was thankful for the counseling that I got that time. And it was like, interesting because um in like Lao culture like um I don't know if this would apply for anyone else but I know that a lot of like people from the community get together and like 
help like prep for the funeral and stuff like that and you know help the family like the few days after the funeral and stuff like that but it was like interesting to see that I wasn't able to see like people from my community because like for me the last community is very tight-knit and like a lot of them are my grandparents friends who also in a way like kind of raised me and stuff like that um so it was just I was just going through a lot and I was just like seeing my counselor like talking about anything and everything I could within an hour for the two weeks every two weeks that I could and honestly like I said earlier like it was like a blessing but also not that I didn't get into counseling but until like my fourth year but I'm glad I had my counselor for that you know time period and so with counseling and you know just like trying to enrich myself um I've learned to really just enjoy my life and take things slow because of all the things that I like went through um this like pandemic and stuff like that I realized that like I'm young <laughs> like I know it's like funny to think about that like we're we're all around like the t- early 20s so we still got a long way to go and I shouldn't rush myself and y'all too <laughs> y'all should take this advice too I really learned this so, like I always been that way to like enjoy life and stuff like that but I really like um instilled it into myself to like really just take things slow and not rush myself to get anywhere because like that thing goes YOLO you only live once you really do and also um just be patient with yourself you'll get where you need to be yeah no I definitely agree with that just because um I don't know med school is like a lot like this semester has been like studying 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 and then at night more studying so like um trying to live my life a little more and like make that balance work has been like you know a struggle but um slowly I think I'm trying been um doing a decent job of you know like you said yoloing it but yeah um yeah now we're gonna go in right into halftime so um yeah well that being said we're going to transition in halftime when we come back we'll go more in depth about the impact of mental health in a pita families but right now we're gonna go hydrate do whatever we need to do um and get back from halftime see y'all soon hey y'all welcome back to the second half of episode six everyone Hope y'all had some time to think about mental health and its importance importance I can talk during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now we're gonna transition into its impact in the Apita families. Yes, hello. Also, I'm just wiggling my arms around, just you know, flex kind of like, you know, get myself kind of, you know, you gotta like loosen up your joints sometimes, you know. I sit in like this like seat for so long during school that like I don't get time to like sure. um, but yes, mental health in Apita families. Um, I think this is something that we can all relate to, or if not, our listeners can at least relate to as well, that, you know, I think, you now picture this, right? I want you guys to all imagine this right now, you know, you close your eyes, close your eyes. You just need to listen real quickly, you know, picture this. You're going through school. It's midterm season, which is kind of right now. So reality check real fast. It's midterm season. You're struggling. You've been up since like 4 a.m. and you are like crashing down. And the next thing you know, the next day you hear your family members call you and they ask you, how are you doing? And then you tell them that you're not doing okay. And what's the response that you would think they would say is, are you okay? But no, the other responses you get is, no, get over it, you'll be fine. Now wake up y'all, this is the reality that we live in. Unfortunately enough, most of PETA families have a very cultural indifference to things and that is to kind of not submit to defeat. 
And a lot of it has to go with the whole idea that like, you know, Asian Americans, for us, we have been into an environment where we understand that mental health is important and it's okay to not be okay. However, for folks that are coming from Asia, you know, the whole cultural environment impact over there is that, you know, you have to be the best, you have to do everything perfectly, and there's no room for error. So, you know, coming with that environment and mind spec and bringing that over when immigrating, to us, that is something that is, you know, morally different from what we believe in, you know, because for us, we believe in making sure we're okay, taking care of ourselves and saying that it's okay to not do it correctly. But for our parents, for our grandparents, you know, they don't believe in that stuff. They kind of, you know, for for some people, like for my one, what my dad always says to me, which is kind of like annoying, is he'd be like, "Oh, that's all bullshit." And like, part of my French, but like, that's pretty much what it is. You know, they think that that's how it is. But then, you know, you have this argument with them, and like, it's almost really taxing to like kind of think about it. You know, um, and you know, like, there's a lot of factors into this. There's family's expectations. There's a lot of the model minority myth that we get from society, thinking that Asian Americans themselves are actually pretty well up there. Like they're very adaptable and also like know their stuff. But um, really there's more to it than meets the eye. And like, you know, with that in mind, you know, after you waking up from your nightmare of like thing, what can, what do you guys have thoughts about that? Like, does that relate to you or? Yeah, no, um, like you said, like mental health definitely seen as a weakness slash taboo in a PETA families. Um, I know a friend of mine, he recently got into a car accident and um, he was immobilized for a very, very long time, like months, honestly. And um, I know like the statistics about um, how immobilization, you know, not being able to walk, not feeling like you're being a contribution to your family or whatnot is like kind of taxing on your mental health, especially when you potential depression. Um, I knew like the stats about that, but um, I was talking with my friend and um, his mom about it. And I was just, you know, talking to them be like, Hey, um, just making sure like you're feeling fine, whatnot. And like uh, uh, all that stuff. And they've like felt like they were fine. And like, I brought up sure that you're fine. Just make sure like you weren't um, having any sense of depression. And they pretty much just, you know, ignored it, thought, you know, I'm not going to be depressed. Don't worry about it. And like, I like, I trust them to make sure I think like they're not depressed um, and like not going through these um, depressions um, just because I know that it's a really big issue for um, immobilized patients, but um, potentially, um, you know, having that seen or having mental health seen as a, you know, weakness or taboo could potentially be um, a factor of why um, they didn't want to talk about um their depression at the time when I was talking to them. Yeah. No, you're onto something really because um, right now, so I want to read this article that I, well, thank you so much for bringing this up, Kings, but like the Western Journal of Medicine or also known as WestJM, or Med, sorry, ooh, words. Um, this is actually a journal that was made by a couple of Asian American and also Asian, um, you know, journalists. And some of the big points I think you want to bring up that you actually are talked about is like the level of acculturation. And what I mean by that is that, you know, in this journal that they specified, they talk about for Asian Americans, it takes approximately about three generations. So, you know, for most of us, I'm first generation. So it'd probably be like my grandkids that would be fully able to adopt the lifestyle of like the dominant culture that is currently in place. So in this case, we're in America. So it would take until like my grandkids to be fully like Americanized, if that makes sense. Um, with that though, you know, it, it shows a lot of like intergen intergenerational trauma that we have, you know, because, you know, 
for folks that may be immigrants, first generation, second generation, or third generation, there's a lot of differences in what we face. For myself specifically, first generations mainly have this trauma of facing the what immigrant families' expectations are and trying to upholding that while also at the same time trying to adapt into a world that like they are profoundly new to. So they don't know what's going on. And so there's a clash of cultures in that sense. And I would say personally too, is that, you know, immigration, like I've mentioned it a lot, but there's a lot of things when it comes to immigration that I feel that like, um, for me personally, a lot of like my grandparents and also like my ancestors would kind of say that like, oh, because you immigrated, you need to be very appreciative of like all we've done for you. And so like your mental health is like a back burner at this rate. Like this isn't priority. Your priority is to live a full life so that way we can be happy. That's a lot of pressure. You know what I mean, y'all? Like, I don't know if y'all felt that pressure before. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, going back to what you said about classic, like, um, there's always times where I um, clash with my parents about the cultures between um, having a Vietnamese roots um, clash with our American identities. And like, I always say like, for example, my mom always is like, uh, make sure you address me saying, yeah, instead of, you know, like, yeah, or what's up, like, anyway. And she just says just to do it just because, um, you know, try to stay true to our Vietnamese customs and Vietnamese culture. And, you know, whenever I was young, like in high school, um, I was, I would have been like, wait, why do we have to do that? We live, literally live in America. We should go with America customs. So, you know, that clash of um, like cultures is um, always there with um, APITA families and just BIPOC communities. And yeah, um, talking about like family expectations, um, like I know it's definitely a struggle and to live up to family expectations, whether they're um, high or low, um, especially with APITA families, you know, that the mom minority myth is a big thing. Um, and just, you know, trying to process the family expectations that they explicitly and implicitly put upon you is always something to um, struggle with. But yeah. Yes, absolutely. So I think it's it's just like a it's like a family thing. And like, that's the big thing, too. It's like when you're with a family, family is supposed to top everything. And then like from there, it kind of blindly like makes you not aware of like the other things. Um, that are going on in your life, which is also self-care mental health. So, you know, as much as family is important, I do love my family. It sometimes will blind me to the things that I'm not doing and that some of those things are just taking care of myself. Yeah, for sure. Um, I can also relate to that because I also struggle with that, um, that issue of trying to juggle, like being there for myself but also trying to be there for um, family. Um, speaking of which, um, there's actually an, a term for that. Um, well, not really, but like, I like to say that there is a term for that. It's called filial debt. Um, and the Google definition, or it's actually from the balance, but um, it's the filial responsibility is a legal term for the duty owed by an adult child to their parents for their parents' life necessities. It's commonly an issue when a parent is in need of long-term healthcare but isn't able to pay for it. So I know that this definition that I found from the balance um, is more so talking about like health and taking care of your parents and your family members when they're older, um, when they can't, you know, take care of themselves and stuff like that, which is an issue and not an issue, but something we do see um, that does happen. Um, within you know a lot of our families and not just our community and stuff like that but 
um, Shilad that does not also um, just define that. It can cover a lot of things. For example, like um, um, we talked about earlier about how our parents and our family members always tell us about how, um, you know, since a lot of, I'm, I'm assuming all our parents are here, are refugees or some sort of like that, you know, they immigrated from a different country and we're here. Um, and they like to tell us about how, you know, immigrating to the United States was very hard, which I'm not, I'm not trying to um, knock on, you know, their trauma and what they went through and stuff like that. But because uh, immigrating here was so hard and what they went through was a lot, which is very true. And I'm not saying that it's not a lot, but then they like to, some, some families, I'm saying all, um, would like to, you know, tell us that, tell people of our, like our peers and stuff like that, um, our age, that because they went through so much to bring us here to the United States that we should feel um, grateful that they went through all that and anything they do for us, we should be appreciative of it and we should be better and treat them, um, how do I say, like spoil them when we get like, these big jobs from going to college and stuff like that. And as much as we, uh, all of us would love to do that for our family and spoil our family for being there for us, like it's hard to, when you have to be there for yourself, but then also be pre pressured to spoil our family members and stuff like that. So it's hard. No, and I think it is like, I think like, it's almost kind of like reminds me of like guilt tripping, you know, it's almost like you'll do something for me and like in return, you'll do something for like me in the future. So I think like, you know, I think it is very, very crucial to like recognize that because I think what you said is all valid points. Like you aren't invalidating anyone's like experience. I think all their experiences are definitely valid, especially for our parents, for some of us, their journey and their experience getting here is definitely like very hard and like we understand that however I think as we come into like an older age you know as we become like younger adults is that there needs to be a compromise between our parents and also ourselves um more moreover so you know like I think it's just kind of like having that open dialogue and kind of letting them know that like I see you I hear you however I also need to be here for myself and hear myself at the same time you know and I think like you know just to kind of real quickly add on is like you know sometimes I think it takes something for something to happen for in order for our parents to understand. Unfortunately for me, I will speak on my experience that my mental health wasn't really fully recognized by my parents until I landed in the hospital. So, you know, having malnutrition and a lot of stress, I ended up going to the hospital and it wasn't until my parents saw me on a hospital bed that they started to realize that they're putting a lot on me. And, you know, for, I, I think you mentioned it earlier, I'm not for sure, but like you said being the oldest has a lot of expectations and it's really struggling because as the oldest you have a lot on your plate as like being the caregiver and also really just being like that person that is like doing everything like especially if you have a family of refugees so it's very taxing but you know it's really hard to also like kind of vocalize how you're feeling because you don't want them to feel that like you're being a burden because then they're gonna be like well like I'm depending on you and it's like at that point, you're just like, oh, well, they're depending on me, so I should just be fine. But like, if you're not fine, then be vocal about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> sorry. 
No, yeah, I was going to bring up, because uh, I know you brought up, David, about being the oldest of the family, because I am. Are, are, are y'all also the oldest? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The so <laughs> I know we can feel this pain. I don't know if any of our listeners or viewers can also feel this pain, but, um, you know, I'm personally the oldest sibling and the oldest cousin as well of my family. And so my family members and my aunts and uncles depend on me. So it's not just my parents, it's also my aunts and uncles. Mm-hmm. And I'm also always just helping them out with stuff. And like, I don't know, like I love helping them out, but then it comes to a point where I'm just like, ah, I have school and I also have UVSA Midwest stuff and um, AAA and VSA and all this other stuff. And I want to do and be great in bigger things in other areas, but just having, like you said, David, having to feel that burden of always having to be there for our family members is hard. Yeah, no, definitely agree. And definitely agree with um, a lot of what you said about, um, you know, not just having your parents or your family rely on you, but like, you know, having aunts, uncles. Um, I'm the, old, again, also like you, Molly, the oldest cousin um, on my um, mom's side of the family. And then I'm the um, oldest college graduate, I guess, from my dad's side of the family. So I have both of those to um, talk about. Um, one, I think like, the good thing that you brought up, um, filial, filial, I can't pronounce it, filial, <laughs> um, it's such a, a hard word to pronounce, but I think it's a really good thing you brought up just cause like, it's not something that you talk about as much because like, you know, I don't even know the definition, but I can, um, understand it immediately just because like, you know, we've gone through our whole lives about, you know, family expectations and ways to, um, both meet, but also, um, know when you cannot meet these family expectations and, I think it's not just in our community, so in other BIPOC communities where um, filial death, but also like all the other themes about mental health that we've touched upon um, that can be found in these other communities too. Um, and I think the main thing is, like, you know, overall BIPOC communities um, are just underserved in many areas of society. Um, and one of them is healthcare. It's like honestly one of the biggest um, like flaws of like in, of my system, of my healthcare system. One thing I'm, I'm trying to correct um, I know I can't do it by myself, but I, I've been trying to do it like um, piece by piece, day after day, trying to make sure that, you know, I don't um, contribute to these healthcare disparities in society. But, you know, um, the health disparities within communities that are underserved and specifically mental health is a big one. And, you know, reasons for these aren't just lack of resources um, available to the um, underserved communities, but, you know, the stigma of seeking mental health. Um, can play a role in, you know, people not um, going to the, you know, doctor to seek help for mental health, just because if people see, see it as weakness and they won't want to um, go for it. Um, but yeah, I know we talked about meeting expectations and how seeking mental health can be a sign of weakness um, or not meeting expectations in Lapita communities, but um, seeking help can be stigmatized in communities also because Resilience and perseverance are central themes in their community. So, you know, seeking help can be um, taboo or just, yeah, quote unquote taboo in um, these communities. And um, another thing to talk about, which, uh, you know, relates pretty well, honestly, with our discussion previously about mental health and COVID, is that racism and discrimination impact mental health so much. Like, you know, as humans, we yearn to feel included and be a part of society as a a basic and essential necessity. So when, um, you know, someone discriminates against you based on your race or ethnicity or just something that makes you different, then you don't don't feel safe um, at all or a part of your society. 
and that can have you know just damaging effects on your overall well-being but especially on your mental well-being you know very good points i think you know as we're focusing like the peer community like our mental health it's very important to understand the fact that you know this is happening not just for us but for everybody you know um i was in a panel last week about self-care and like i was among other folks in the bipoc community and like we all agree that this is an issue not just for like our own communities but for everybody um but yeah i just the very good points and you know definitely i want to say that like you know for those that may not identify as a data in this in like the, our viewers and listeners is that know this is that together as a collective we will be able to find resources for each other and there are resources out there and you know like it just takes that one step into going for it like like molly said you know is that like she was so glad to be able to get counseling and you know that's a great thing and but the thing is, is like it took that first step and like it's that positive risk taking that you have to take as like you know it doesn't mean that you're weak but it's just understanding yourself more and knowing what you are valued at so i bring that into sense but you know with that all in mind i want to talk about some resources you know because these are a lot of things that we're talking about and so it's kind of like questioning it's like how can i get help you know what are my first steps so i want to say that like we have a couple of resources one for your university students out there there is something called the student health and wellness program um these should be kind of pretty uniform across the board um they're also known as caps um if you're at different schools they may be called other things but they're mainly counseling and psychiatric and psychological services um for university of nebraska lincoln and michigan state university specifically we do call them caps and they're pretty much resources where you can kind of get professional help from the university itself. And it also sometimes can be confidential or also at free of cost. So definitely look into those. Um, and they also have respond responders that are really keen on like the whole COVID-19 situation where like, you know, you're going through COVID, you're coming out of it, now what? It's like, how do you take care of yourself? Um, but if you can't get like a counselor or therapist at your school, um, I would definitely recommend going to this website and I'll spell it out for you, but it's www.psychologytoday.com dash, um, not dash, slant US. Um, and in order for you to go on the website, pretty much is that you are able to find one that takes your own personal insurance or your Medicare and such forth like that. And, you know, kind of understanding like people, find people or doctors that understand like your ethnicity, your situation, your community identification. And it also can help things with like, you know, explaining trauma and gender inclusive activities and such forth. Um, and, you know, also, you know, it can range from the price, but the thing is, is that if it's for the sake of your own mental health, it's important that you invest in your own safety and your health and self-care as well. You know, not everything is free, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and then there's also three more other things. So um, King talked about Headspace app. So it's a meditation app to help you de-stress. I would definitely look into it. It sounds like King was kind of promoting it earlier. So okay. look on the app, Headspace, you know, head and then space as is. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty self-clanatory. There's also two other online ones. Um, there's another one called Talkspace. It's an online therapy platform on the web and also BetterHelp, which is also another online therapy places. Um, our COSAR cohort actually formulated all these resources this time. And I think they're very, very insightful. And I've actually been looking forward to using some of them sometime whenever I need them. Or, you know, maybe viewers and listeners can tell me how they are. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all we have. So, you know, getting towards a little more lighter topics right here, um, we want to bring it back to our always traditional thing, which is our kudos and final questions. 
um, if we have any. So Molly, do we have any coming up today? What's our kudos? Yeah, we have two kudos. Um, our first one is for some of the members from Illinois VSA and the person who submitted it says, um, thank you for coming out to Indiana and supporting the VSA Mid-Autumn Festival. So oh, shout out to Illinois wow. VSA. Yeah. And then the next one um, is for all the new VO1 directors. And this is for stepping out of your comfort zone and up to the plate to help plan VO1 because that is a really big conference. I can attest to that. Wow. So not me and Kang being on VO1 <laughs> is quite a shout out. But you know, <laughs> we would love to see you all on staff as always. We're very chill, as you have noticed, or maybe. We don't bite. I promise I don't. But McKing, I don't know. I'm a little scared of King sometimes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, God. Um, but yeah, um, like, like David said, apply for staff and hope to see some of y'all at VIA 1 in Chicago. Can't wait. Uh, but yeah, before we end our episode, I want to give a quick shout out to the rest of the co-stars um, who can make it to record. Um, just want to thank Jennifer for helping us gather these resources, Maya and Richie for helping um, formulating our topics, and also James and Ethan for their support throughout this episode and past ones. Um, also, a quick shout out to Linda for keeping us being the glue that keeps us all together. But yeah, Ooh. thanks everyone for tuning in to episode six of Let's Coast Our Conversation. Hopefully, y'all vibe with us as we talked about something that you know doesn't really get much recognition, but is extremely important in all of our lives. But yeah, in the next episode, we'll be doing another informal episode. We'll chill and vibe. So just like how we did in episode five. But yeah, until then, have a great rest of your October. Happy Halloween, everybody. See you guys. <laughs> Goodbye. See you next time.